Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we are reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 56, where we're talking about the Reading Women Award nonfiction shortlist. Hi, Kendra. I am so excited to talk about these nonfiction books because I feel like nonfiction was pretty strong this year. Pretty strong. It was ridiculously stupid strong. Like, we had the (laughs) hardest time paring down this list, but now that we finalized it, it's it's right, and it's perfect, and I love it. I agree. I agree. I, I just love seeing these groups of writers and all of the work that they've put into their books and that we get to share with our listeners. I know. I know. It's so exciting. And so we hope you all will pick up all or most of these books and oh man yeah but first we do need to talk about the new reading them and challenge for 2019 and this year's challenge is so good we put a lot of time into it thinking about it and we have learned from some of the things that happened last year and have worked out some logistics for it so it's going to be an awesome year for the challenge Yes. And so if you don't know, the Reading One Challenge is 24 prompts that encourage you to read different things. So for example, we have uh, read a YA book by a woman of color or read a book written by a South Asian author. So you have different ideas of where to go with your reading and it encourages you to read a wide range of books. And it was really fun to put this list together. It, it was so much fun. And we have... In addition to the list, a lot of resources online. So if you have some questions about what does this category actually mean or how am I going to find books on this topic, we have resources for you to look at. We also have a printable PDF sheet that you can print off and write in the books that you want to read for each category or use to check off or track the books that you're reading. And we also have a shareable image so that way you can easily post it on your Instagram or on your Twitter to tell your friends and your other fellow readers about the challenge and that you're participating. So all amazing stuff that's on our website. And if you get stuck, you can always head over to our Goodreads group. Each challenge has its own discussion page. This year for the 2018 challenge, a lot of people recommended a lot of wonderful books and helped each other find books if they got stuck on something or were looking for a wider range of options. And I really love how people came together and help each other out by, by, by posting ideas for each challenge. Yeah, that was one of the best parts, I think, was seeing everyone come together this year and share their recommendations and also a much wider range of recommendations because Kendra and I can only read so much. Um, So when you multiply that by however many people were in the group, it just multiplied the recommendation. So, so many people commented that they read a book that their fellow reader recommended and loved it. And that just makes us happy. So if you would like to participate in the Reading Women Reading Challenge for 2019, head over to our website and there's, uh, so up on the menu bar, there's a tab called Reading Women Challenge. You could check out the 2019 challenge and click on that and look at that. And we're really, really excited about it. And a lot of these challenges are inspired by things that happened in 2018 or we're planning on doing in 2019. So I'm interested to see if any of you guess what some of our themes are going to be in 2019. Without further ado, do you want to talk about our nonfiction picks for this year? Right. So the first book on our shortlist 
is Old in Art School, a memoir of starting over by Nell Irvin Painter. And this is out from Counterpoint Press. And I was so excited to read this book. I think, Autumn, you heard about it first. I did. We did not find this book until very recently. And I was like, I have to read this book. (laughs) Yes. And I was so happy when it came in because one, the cover is actually, I believe, based on one of the pieces of artwork that Nell Urban Painter did. But also it's really like when you pick up the book, it's really heavy. And that's because it's on glossy paper because she actually shows you some of the artwork that she does. So this book is about uh, Nell Urban Painter, who is actually a historian, an academic, and she decided to go back to art school uh, to get uh, both two degrees in art. When she was, I think she started when she was sixty-four, um, and graduated with her MFA at the end of that um, when she was around seventy. So she talks about being an African American woman in art school, but also the ageism that she experienced being an older woman in art school, and it was just. A fantastic memoir. It really is. And she is so funny and delightful. And her observations are just unmatched. And she's like so smart too, because she's written several other books as well. Um, some of them you may have heard of, like one of them is like The History of White People, which came out by W.W. W. Norton in 2010, and which is her most recent book besides this one. And oh, she's just I loved getting to hear her perspective on this topic. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I actually went and watched a video of her talk about her book, The History of White People. And she's just so articulate. And I listened to the audiobook for this book and had the print book on hand to view the art pieces that were printed in it. And the way she just reads the audiobook herself. And it was just very beautiful to be able to hear her story and hear her read her own story. And she talks about her relationship with her elderly parents who are actually in their 90s. And she's taking care of them and just a lot of the life experiences that she's experiencing as a woman in her 60s and and early 70s. And I thought that's so important because unfortunately in literature, we have a lot of ageism and we devalue older women's experiences. And that's something that we definitely should get rid of in literature. We need to hear about women from all walks of life and all ages as well. Uh, And so I greatly appreciated her perspective on life. And oh my goodness, her, her comments on like younger students in her art program were just one of my favorite, some of my favorite things. Oh, her observations are unparalleled. Like as a people watcher myself, I was like, oh, this is so good. It's like almost like I'm people watching with her. (laughs) And she has a lot of commentary on how art is critiqued because she is a historian and she is a decorated historian. Like she is phenomenal at what she does but she wanted to go to art school because she loves art and she wanted to pursue that and a lot of the artists judged her because she had a background in academia and non-art here are the air quotes around that and by the end of the book she's able to merge both her love of history and her love of art together in art projects which is something that a lot of her professors told her she should not do that she should leave part of herself basically behind and embrace art by itself but she came to a place where she merged the two and i thought that was just a beautiful story that she's telling um and i just absolutely love this book i did too i also appreciated 360 view she gave on her life as well so it wasn't just about 
you know, art school and her decision to go. But as you mentioned, you know, about her parents and dealing with her, her aging parents and then also her friends. She was talking about how some of her friends were like, why are you going back to art school? And so all of that was just really helpful, especially because I think there's this narrative this cultural narrative that you can only try new things up until a certain age and then you have to settle down. And so for me to read about this woman who is so amazing that she decided to go get two new degrees, like when most people are retiring, was just so inspiring. And I was like, I don't know. I just loved it. Yeah. It reminds me of like Annie Prue starting to write books in her fifties. Yeah. You know, I just think we need more stories about this because even now that, you know, we're approaching a certain milestone in our age and we're now being told, well, all of your decisions for your life trajectory have basically been made. And I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> no, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> so, yeah, this is an excellent book. We we obviously highly recommend it. So this is absolutely a wonderful book. Obviously, we highly recommend it. And that is Old in Art School, a memoir of starting over by Nell Irvin Painter. Our next pick is Monsoon Mansion, a memoir by Sinel Barnes, and this is published by Little A. And shout out to Little A for their amazing book design, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> this is an incredible story. Uh, Sinel grew up in the Philippines, and she talks about growing up in this mansion called the Mansion Royale, and it was a 10-bedroom home. It's huge. Like Her descriptions of how big this house are is just... I can't even picture it. Like, I really can't. Um, So she talks about her parents and how they were very wealthy and then lost all their money um, due to, like, political upheaval and kind of the things going on inside of Monsoon Mansion. Um, This was such a gripping story. It, it was. Uh, this book first came to our attention when Sachi um, recommended it as one. She was our, one of our guest recommenders uh, a few months ago, and she recommended this book. And so I was like, well, of course I need to pick it up. So I picked it up and I read it, and it was just blew me away because at first there's such opulence and there's such a high class, and they put so much store in their class and different things, but then they fall on hard times. And uh, when uh, one of the war breaks out and it's just really moving to see the, how quickly the transition happens for Sunil's family and growing up in the Philippines and her mom and her parents, they split up and, and just the difficult life when her stepdad moves in. And I just was really wowed by the way she was able to use a dreamlike state for the first part of the book to tell you, okay, this was the the perfect life I thought I had, and and this is what happened afterwards. I also liked how she said in her introduction how she modeled her memoir after a lot of the stories that she read as a kid, because she goes on to describe how the books that she read during this very formative time in her life shaped how she viewed what was going on, and then she also chose to tell her own story that way, which I thought was a really nice way to tie it all together. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And she, so I don't want to spoil the book, but we see after her dad and her mom split up that her 
except the dad moves in and we watch as the mansion crumbles and the mansion oftentimes symbolizes her relationship with her mother. And that comes forward a bit more later in the book when she writes this essay about her mom and where the title comes from monsoon mansion that her mom is a monsoon, uh, like assaulting the perfection of her life and her relationship with her mom. And it's just a beautiful metaphor that actually is once you look back and you realize what's going on is throughout the entire memoir. Oh, absolutely. She also handles mental illness very well, especially from the perspective of a kid, because we don't, I don't think we ever know for sure, but like her mom is definitely struggling with depression and, and seeing it through the eyes of like a 10 year old was very well done. And like kind of, she showed like the, how disorienting that could be, but also like how sad it was and how hard it was for everybody. So, you know, so there's a lot of really important themes in this book, like mental illness and wealth and poverty and social status and all kinds of things. So it was really fantastic. I love how she tied it up in the epilogue at the end. And Sunil is actually a South Carolina-based writer. She moved to the United States and lives in Charleston. And so that's pretty great. I live in South Carolina, so um, I was really excited to hear that. I was like, of all places, (laughs) that she could end up, that she would end up in my state. Right. Um, (laughs) And you mentioned the beautiful design of this book. Uh, Whether this book was beautifully designed or not, we still absolutely love it. But Little A did such a good job the naked hardback is printed uh in these beautiful design of flowers and rain like a monsoon is raining down on this beautiful flowers and uh little a did a great job with this book it is absolutely gorgeous <laughs> they have some amazing book designers over there right they did uh, natalia sylvester's book as well which also has a naked hardback print on it as well and i just think they're doing a great job so Whoever designs Little A's books, congratulations. Like you just serve you just serve a nomination in a totally different category yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Monsoon Mansion, a memoir by Sunel Barnes. And the next book on our short list is Heartberries by Therese Marie Myatt, and that is out from Counterpoint. We read this book earlier this year in, I think, February? February is when I read it, I think. Right. And it is a very short book. I believe the uh, book itself is under 100 or around 100 pages, maybe a little over. Uh, And it's just Therese's memoir about her life growing up as a Native woman in British Columbia and coming to the United States. She opens the book with she, her going to a facility for depression and mental illness. Um, and we learn a little bit more throughout the book about why she is there. But um, from, from page one, it is a very intense memoir, but, but incredibly beautiful. The, yeah, the way she writes is just stunning. It's kind of, it is, again, like Sunel's book, kind of dreamlike and very poetic. And it does almost read like poetry in a lot of ways, just because the chapters are so short and the way that the different paragraphs are structured. But this was another one that even though it's small, it it packs a punch. Yeah, it, it definitely, oh my goodness, it definitely does. And we actually, this was one of our discussion books earlier this year. And I was just very impressed with how 
Therese used the nonlinear narrative to communicate different things to the reader in a certain order and how she used her style, which is very raw and open and, and very real in a very intentional way. It's not like she just sat down and it all poured out of her head. It's a very constructed type of style, but it communicates a certain feeling. And, and that's just done so skillfully. I can't believe this is her first book. It's fantastic. And I'm sure we can expect a lot more writing from her. Her insight into what Native women go through as far as like getting access to mental health or raising children or just like all like access to education and things like that was really helpful to read about and just to hear about her own experiences and her journey to becoming a writer. It was just really a, a stunning story. It is. And the book is actually written in second person and is addressing her husband. Um, So they have a very tumultuous relationship. And so a lot of things she's working through, she's working through while in a relationship with him before uh, they get married. And I just really appreciated how open she was and how she was trying to cope with the circumstances she was raised in and born into and some things that she had buried deep within herself. And we always come back to her as the present in uh, the facility where she's trying to basically find herself. And she writes and writes and writes. And that is one of the things that she's able to do for herself is figure out something for herself and and slowly begin to heal a little bit. And um, I follow her on Instagram and it's great to see how she's able to go and, and talk to people about her book and communicate that. And I think we shared a link to an interview with uh, Therese and Trevor Noah that I thought was very well done. So that is Heartberries by Therese Marie Myatt. Which brings us to our ad spot for this episode, and we are super excited to let you all know we have a new item in our Etsy store. We have enamel logo pins, and I am so excited about these. Um, (laughs) They're beautiful. Like The manufacturer did a fantastic job. Um, They're about one inch by one inch, so they're not too big. They're the perfect size, in my opinion. Um, So you definitely want to go and check those out. Yeah, and Autumn in particular, she's our designer, and so she's working really hard on these pins. And she's been wanting these pins pretty much since we started the podcast. Pretty much. (laughs) So I'm very excited that they finally came in and were able to see them and share them with you all. So you can now find them in our store, uh, along with all of our other merch. And we also have a sale going on right now. Yes, so in commemoration of this year's Reading Women Award... We are having a 15% off, we are offering a 15% off coupon for all of our book blind dates. So if you use the promo code AWARD2018, you can get 15% off your book blind date. And these make amazing Christmas gifts. They come pre-wrapped. So if you're wanting to just like give all your friends and family good books to read for Christmas, we will send them to you and they'll already be wrapped. So you just have to show up. And hand them uh, hand books out. Like, what's better than that? I I don't know. I I really don't. That's actually what I do for Christmas. Is I buy everyone books. <laughs> That's what I should do. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're really excited about this year's holiday season, and so we hope that you are able to find things that you're looking for. And we're obviously very excited about our new enamel pins, and we hope that you will be able to show off your reading women swag a little bit there. 
And yeah, we also have, of course, Reading Women Award kits. We have Reading Women Award seals for your books, like for Pachinko and Hunger and our two winners this year, which we'll be announcing in December. Uh, but yeah, all of that will be in the Reading Room store, which is linked in our show notes. And Autumn, I think you have our next shortlisted book. Yes. So our next book is All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. And this book is published by Catapult. And this is one of the most thought-provoking books I think I've read all year. Well, definitely that I've read all year. Uh, but Nicole is, she was born in California to Korean parents, but she was born prematurely. And through a series of events that we come to find out as she tells her story, she was put up for adoption and a white family from Oregon adopted her. This book chronicles her search for her parents and trying to uncover. This book not only chronicles her search for her biological parents, but also her encounters with racism in her small Oregon town and the reconciliation that she finds in the end, which I won't go into too much detail, so not to spoil it. Yeah, and oh my goodness, this book is incredibly beautiful. And I, I just sat down and I read it an entire day. And by the end, I was like, just so moved by her story. Uh, and she is searching also for her identity because she is a Korean American woman, but she's being raised by white parents. And so she feels she so she doesn't feel that connection with her heritage. Like she's not Korean enough for some reason. And and that's something she has having to address for herself and that she is a Korean American woman and is just has just as much right to that identity as anyone else. And her just searching for that. And I feel like whenever a child is adopted, there's always, you know, wanting wondering who your parents are. And it's, it's incredibly complicated. Definitely. And she handles that so deftly she even at the beginning of the book she explains this encounter she had with this white couple who is around her age looking to adopt and they she talks about how like they were looking towards her looking to her for like affirmation that yes this is always a positive thing in every possible way and so she shares her feelings about that and her conflicted feelings about it and all those things so it's really beautiful and honest and made me rethink a lot of the things that I had thought about adoption, especially international adoptions as well. Definitely. And and she communicates very well that what she wants people to understand is that adoption, there's no one answer for any questions. It's a very complicated process. I mean, the fact that a child has to grow up for adoption, period, is a usually a very difficult circumstances and she wants people to think through adoption more it's not just a happy ending there's a lot of complications with it and that there's a lot of things you'll need to address as parents and I felt just she did such a great job with that and she connects it all at the end when she becomes a mother and experiences that and communicates to her children who are biracial and just a beautiful book and I'm, I'm dancing around spoilers very ineffectively here, but um, I was very impressed with the way that she handled a very, very difficult topic. And I'm glad more people are talking about it and that more people are speaking up and sharing their stories because I know that I've not read any adoption stories like this. And and I think 
it would be great if more people shared their own adoption stories and the different challenges that they faced as well, or the positive things that happen doesn't just have to be challenges because there are a lot of positive things that happen for Nicole as well. So that is All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. And our next book for our shortlist is I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell. And the subtitle is 17 Brushes with Death, a memoir. Oh my goodness. I don't even know where to start with this book, Autumn. It is so good. Yes, I think you definitely had a personal connection with this book as well. Yeah, uh, definitely. We we learn from the very beginning. It's, it's a nonlinear memoir, so it feels more like memoir only short stories, whatever equivalent that would be. But it's about Maggie O'Farrell's 17 Brushes with Death, 17 times that she her life came in danger or someone around her life came in danger. And this book really portrays her life. Uh, she had a condition when she was younger where she was paralyzed pretty much for a year and had to go through physical therapy and pretty much lives with a, the chronic effects of that. And as someone who also has severe chronic disease, I really connected with this book and we interviewed her earlier this year and it was one of the most meaningful interviews for me personally that we've ever done because she was able to communicate what that's like in such a concise and articulate way. Yes, absolutely. And even the style she chose to write it in I think was really fantastic and I can't even imagine how would it how it would have been written any other way because she takes on different body parts or different aspects of um, the human body. And so it's organized that way. And the order I thought was incredible. And she even weaves in her story with the story of her daughter who has very severe allergies, which was also very touching. Yeah. And her daughter has also has severe eczema and an autoimmune disorder. And so when she was a baby, she had such severe eczema, like, horrible and she would go to different doctors and they would tell her that she, she was basically crazy or give her like this cream that she'd already tried and it was didn't help and the frustration with trying to find help for her daughter and her daughter also has the severe allergies that she responds to and so trying to basically keep her daughter alive and there's a circular nature to this book where she was a child who had a severe disease and almost died and then now she's caring for her daughter who has a, to a diff totally different disease, but she's also trying to care for and, and keep alive, essentially. And the title comes from The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. And she uses it in her memoir in a very poignant way. But she told us in the interview that she actually had to get permission to use this phrase as the title of her book. Yeah, because it's uh, Sylvia Plath isn't in public domain domain yet, and it's a very famous quote from the book. And I thought it was so perfect, though, for the title. Oh, definitely, especially for a book dealing with chronic illness and trying to stay alive. It was perfect, absolutely perfect. And she has so many freakish brushes with death. Like she, the first section is about her hiking alone as a woman young woman and she met this guy on the trail and she it was kind of weird and she walked away and she learned later that that guy was like a serial killer of women or something and another time she and her partner were traveling um and i think some wooded area and like bandits came upon them and they were robbed at like machete point or something and 
oh my goodness, how can one woman experience so many things? I I have no idea. Like, it's crazy how many brushes with death that she's had. It made me wonder, like, how many times I've had encounters like that and didn't know it. But yeah, that was mind-boggling. It's very incredible. And of course, since it is Maggie O'Farrell, she writes in such beautiful prose. And she is the just goddess of structure because nonlinear structure is, is very difficult but can be very effective as she is in this memoir and she said that basically linear stories didn't interest her that much and she wanted to write something that interested her and so she wrote this memoir in a nonlinear fashion and it I think it's just uh, such perfection so that is I am I am I am 17 brushes with death by Maggie O'Farrell And then our last pick is Educated, a memoir by Tara Westover, and this book is published by Random House. And this book, we know it's one of the most talked about books of the year, but it is one of the best memoirs we've read all year and definitely deserved a place on this list. And Oh my goodness. And it's just as good as everyone says it is. You know, when books have so much hype and you're kind of concerned, like, will it live up to the hype? Well, this one definitely does. It does indeed. And Tara tells the story of growing up in a very conservative faction of Mormonism in rural Idaho. And so she talks about her childhood growing up in this very isolated community and this family that had that didn't really fit in with this family that was completely isolated from like all kinds of technology and things like that and how she worked her way out of that. It's an amazing story and it's not just because I feel like the title is can be a little bit misleading. Um, She does end up going to Brigham Young University and then ends up going to Harvard and Cambridge But the book is so much more than that. It's not just about her education, but it's also about personal education and personal development and, like, finding her place in her family. And, you know, because her family is survivalist, they're living out in Idaho, and her dad doesn't believe in any sort of government, and really. And so her family is, quote-unquote, homeschooled at home, but they're not really schooled at all. They just are, like, handed books and said, here, go do math. And she would just like flip pages. And so she is just living this way. Her parents have this scrapyard and her brother comes and is like, you need to get out, take the GED and take, you know, these different, the ACT and different tests and whatnot. Um, And it's just an astounding story of how a girl can come out of such a situation. She also has a lot of support from her religious community um, going to Brigham Young University. Her parents are really outliers in Mormonism, and so they realize that how she has been treated most of her life. And it's just, every turn is just incredible. It's just an incredible story. Like, you can't, life is so much stranger than fiction. <laughs> that That's definitely true. I also appreciated how Tara... I also appreciate the grace that Tara showed towards her family. Like, I was kind of expecting this memoir to be really angry, and it wasn't. And, like, she was very truthful about the terrible things that she experienced and some of the abuse that she experienced. But at the same time, like, I felt like it was a very balanced perspective in that she tried to see it from her parents' perspective, which I think is a very healthy way to process that kind of a situation as well. 
Yeah. Oh my goodness, definitely. And like some people literally cannot comprehend this book. We we've read a lot of reviews on it and they're so confused and they don't understand why she left her parents, but they they're her parents and she loves them and and you go through the book with her essentially this book is about her coming to terms with her family and loving them so much and and wanting to still be part of the family but because she you know, left the isolated community. They basically, I don't know what the family version of excommunicating is, but that's basically what they do to her. And it's such a hard book to read, but I just see the love for her family there and the sorrow that even though she disagrees with her family, she can't be part of that anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it also shows, you know, the power of having a support team, you know, and people who to, and people to help you because she wouldn't have been able to get the education she got were it not for her brother and her teachers and her mentors who like pushed her in that direction and encouraged her. So it's a lot about the people in her life. You know, education didn't save her. You know, the people in her life who cared about her saved her. So really stunning and beautiful. And I'm recommending this book to everybody. And it's and it's just uh, it's so good. I really love what you said about education didn't save her, but people did, because that's really... So there's so many great instances in this book where that happens. So that is Educated, a memoir by Tara Westover. And that is our nonfiction shortlist. Woohoo! Yeah. Too bad we don't have, like, party cannons or something. (laughs) Well, we can just imagine them. All the confetti. Imagine them. All the confetti. You know, Margot and Agnes would have a heyday. Oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine that. Anyway, so this is a standout list. Like, we had a hard time narrowing it down. There were so many other nonfiction books that we read this year that we loved, but we just, we can only fit six. (laughs) (laughs) So we will be announcing the winners of both the fiction and nonfiction categories on December 5th. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, definitely pick up all of these books if you haven't already they are absolutely amazing, and we feel very honored that they came into our lives and we had the opportunity to read them. Absolutely. I co-sign that 100%. <laughs> so thank you to all of you who have reviewed us in Apple Podcasts or your other podcatchers of choice. Uh, we love seeing your reviews, and we greatly appreciate it. If you haven't already, we would also greatly appreciate it if you reviewed us. And whatever podcatcher you are using, uh, it really gives us a bump in the algorithm and helps us out a lot. You can also check out our newsletter that has featured new books and reviews and more. And there's also sales that I'll put in the newsletter that I don't put other places. So you definitely want to check that out. And of course, that and all of the books we've mentioned today are in our show notes. So be sure to join us on December 5th, where we will be talking about the winners of the 2018 Reading Women Award. You won't want to miss that. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at the Reading Women. You can find Kendra at KD Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. As Kendra mentioned, you can also find us at readingwomenpodcast.com, where we have all of our past episodes, author Q&As, and so much more. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.